Our lives intersect the lives of other people, groups, or even whole governments. What happens next is what I explore in this podcast. Welcome to Intersections. I'm Brett Dickerson, your host. On today's episode of Intersections, I'm interviewing Doug Sirocco, and uh, Doug is one of the principal partners of Dunlop Cotting Law Firm. Now, Doug, tell us what your law firm does. Let's let's start on the timeline right now and just talk about what you guys are doing right now. Okay, so what we're doing right now, we are an intellectual property boutique law firm, which is a fancy way of saying that we work with the uh, the most creative, innovative, uh, crazy sometimes uh, <laughs> people in the world uh, yeah. to protect you know their reputation their inventions, innovations, creativity. So we're we basically where the intersection of law and creativity meets. Mm. Those are the things that we do. Yeah. So so if I have a great idea and I have some copyright questions about it, I can I come to you guys. Sure. You right? come to us and we figure out you know how do we protect that? You know, yeah. What, what intellectual makes property. So so naturally most of us think about writers. You know that somebody who's going to publish a novel would come to you, which which they no doubt would. Correct. Uh, what what are, what are some other types of intellectual property that you guys end up sure. protecting? We do a lot of uh, pats, which protect the functional expressions of ideas. So wow. chemicals and machines and wow. new, new drugs and things yeah. of that nature. We do a lot of trademark work. So yeah. protecting those slogans, you know, so you, everybody knows that if you see the Kodak, you know, symbol or something right. like that, you know where it's going yeah. to. Um, and then the fun stuff, we get to work with a lot of artists on their artwork or musicians mm-hmm. uh, protecting their songs and lyrics things of that nature. So. Wow. So so a, so a, a professor at OU uh, in chemistry who comes up with some new chemical combination or something, I don't even know how to talk about it, uh, they they might come to you to to patent that like a process or a formula or something like that. That's correct. In fact, we do represent OU, and so they do come to us. <laughs> and so, so, in fact, they come they to come you. They come to us with all kinds of ideas. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, uh, what is... What is the most unusual intellectual property that you guys have been asked to to deal with or to help somebody protect? You know, that's an interesting question. We get... You know, and it depends on the definition of unusual. You know, we've get. Let's just let you define unusual. <laughs> My favorite one, let's put it that way. The one that I use kind of make people laugh is we have a, a, a little old lady that came up with this idea that she was going to teach kids uh, safe kissing <laughs> and that she wanted to set them straight on the world of, you know, as they got older, they'd go into safe sex and things mm-hmm. of that nature. Mm-hmm. So she came up with this little uh, kind of thing that you put in front of your mouth and boys and girls and you know would kissy give each other kisses or kisses to grandma through this little plastic shield and the funny thing about that is is she got uh, asked she was on Jay Leno and Letterman and all these things <laughs> as the crazy inventor uh, idea and mm-hmm. you know you're just sitting there thinking oh my gosh don't say my name <laughs> You know, don't, don't, don't associate this with me, but she's been yeah. great. She's had a lot of fun with it. <laughs> did she say your name? She did. <laughs> <laughs> I had a lot of colleagues that uh, sent me letters or, you know, emails. You had a great time with that, I'm sure. Lawyers yeah. always have a great time. Uh, 
you know, with all sorts of things like that. You got to have, you have to have a really tough neck. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, um, probably, probably the most obscure, uh, intellectual property that you've, that that your firm has protected in the past. Obscure. Yeah. Something, something that, Hmm. that the rest of us, you know, us, you know, goofy people just like me that just walk up and down the street. What will we not think of? As uh, that that last story might be mm. the one, but but yeah. um, um, you know you could take it to the complete opposite end. Yeah. We've worked, you know, the one of those professors at OU. Yeah, um, they have they identified the polymer in our knees and, and inside of our eyeballs and stuff like that. That elasticity. Wow. And identified a way to make that, you know, yeah. kind of artificially and synthetically. Oh wow. Uh, we've patented it for them. It's a product that's now being made by a, a major pharmaceutical mm-hmm. company out of uh, Denmark. Mark, but it's if you've got bad knees or you're aging like me and need yeah. those injections to kind of give that little bit of springiness back, there's a, a good chance that it's the, the stuff from the, the professor at OU. So it's a, it's a synthetic that replaces you know, the, the, na- the natural stuff that, that lubricates your and, joints. And gives that elasticity or yeah. it gives the eyeball, it keeps the eyeball full. So every oh. eye surgery will have a syringe of it there. So it's, wow. so it's and you see it in cold cream too. It's, you know, the hyaluronic acid that's going to make your skin kind of uh, springier and look better, right? You know? <laughs> so that's what my wife keeps telling me about. Okay. All right. Well, um, <clears throat> so that's that's what you guys do right now. How many how many people are in your firm right now? About 20, I would say on average, 20 lawyers and professionals. We have a couple of people that uh, do not have legal degrees, but they have PhDs or masters. Yeah. Um, so almost everybody up here has some type of science or engineering uh, kind of background. Yeah, that sounds like that would almost be be necessary for somebody you know for you guys to have somebody on your staff who really kind of can can be a quick study on on anything scientific that somebody brings to you. Yeah, right? it's amazing because we're always kind of playing pickup on technology because yeah. you never know. Right. We, you know, we work with Nestle and so we might be, be doing chocolate bars one day and, <laughs> you know, another way we work with Siemens uh, Healthcare right. where you're using, you know, blood analyzers. So you wow. kind of try and match people up with what is their technological background yeah. uh, with what the, the technologies and the clients are coming in. Yeah. Now, now people might go, hey, wait a minute, Dunlop Cotting, hey, that's, that's where those cool concerts are. <laughs> People, you know, I've run across people that really didn't quite know what you guys do. They know you're some sort of a firm, and they know you're very generous with with all of Oklahoma City in in terms of your space here. Uh, for for people who haven't been here, tell us a little bit about about the the concert space that sure. you kind of let anybody walk into on right. certain, so at, at a certain time. You you let in with our boring day job, which we do. <clears throat> I often have to tell people we do have a boring day job, but that's what pays the bills. That's what pays the bills. That allows us to do the fun. <laughs> stuff. So that's our, what you were alluding to there was kind of our space uh, uh, Dunlop Cotting or DC on Film Row. Right. And that's the event space that we have here down here on Film Row. And it's not a comic book store? It's not a comic book store. It's not <laughs> do that kind of DC. I guess, you know. Okay. We got to clarify that. Okay. But, you know, it's a space. It's an indoor-outdoor space. And, you know, I've, a lot of people have been here. So maybe many of your listeners have been here. Yeah. But that gives people the opportunity to pretty much plan anything they want to plan and provides mm-hmm. that space for people to do it. So we kind of look at it as providing the canvas 
service or the infrastructure upon which people can kind of do good community things. Right, right. And and your firm, when you took over this old building and redid the whole building and you had this open space over here, right. you, you pretty much decided right then that you were going to use that as a public space, right? Well, it was kind of a, a serendipitous <laughs> type of... Um, mm-hmm path forward and I would say a little bit sneaky path forward and mm-hmm. the way it kind of came about was is kind of a step by step right and then we kind of got to that place of letting the public use it and I can't okay. say that we started out with this big grand vision mm-hmm. but it became a lot of small decisions along the way okay that kind of led to it and and kind of ended up in something that we think is pretty cool so so originally it was it was just going to be kind of a space for your employees to go outside and eat lunch and whatever that's, that's correct Correct. And, and yeah. the way, you know, when we were laying the building out, we bring in lunch everybody day for everybody in our office. So okay. we needed a kitchen kind of gathering space. Right. And the best place was in this area of the building where there was this big commercial garage door. <laughs> well, you might as well turn the garage door into glass, you know, so right. you have a view. And right. the view was out to a parking lot. Mm. Well, you don't want to look at a parking lot. Okay. And so then you need a garden. Well, if you're going to have a garden, you might as well put some seating in it and yeah. some, you know, deck and everything like that. And we kind of went along and the next thing you know, I'd kind of talked my partners into creating this kind of outdoor space. Yeah. You know, we bulldozed a third of a parking lot to do it. Wow. Which, you know, a few folks in the real estate market thought we were crazy. <laughs> yeah. Did you know that you could get 50 bucks of parking space, you know, kind of thing. <laughs> and really, it was one of my other partners who looked at me after it was all built and said, you know, 99% of the time, we're not going to be using this space. Yeah. You know, it's either going to be too hot. It's going to be windy. We're at, you know, in our jobs, you know, working, things of that nature. And then that was kind of what led us down the line of saying, well, why don't we just let people use it? You know, there's this mm. infrastructure here sitting here. Mm. You know, it's not going to hurt anything. <clears throat> right. We built it of wood and steel. You know, it's, <laughs> we've seen a lot of kids trying to tear it down. But, you know, they can't they can't get there. Um uh-huh. And that was kind of the idea of let's let's just open it up and see what happens. Mm-hmm. Let's do it as an experiment. And interestingly enough, when we first started talking about it was before we moved in and no one believed us. When I would say to a group, hey, we're going to have this space that's free. Why don't you tell me how you'd like to use it? Right. They um, they wouldn't believe me. Yeah. You know, they're like, uh, you know, there's some catch. There's something, you know, something yeah, that's going on. something going to sneak up on us here. Right. Yeah. So it actually took a little bit of time <clears throat> to get people to believe us and to get mm-hmm. it, people using the space. Right. So, now, you're located here on in what? Now it's called Film Row. It used to be just kind of an industrial, kind of light industrial part of the city. It's Sheridan uh, that kind of goes right out from downtown here. You're just a little bit west of downtown, really on the western edges of downtown. Uh, Why is it called Film Row? Well, this area originally was where they stored all the films back in the day Mm -hmm. uh, that people would come in. So for this region, if you were a small town uh, film Oh, a theater owner. Yeah. You would come down here to Film Row and pick up your movies. There's places that had popcorn. There were our building. Half of the building was where they would make the props for the lobbies. So if you <laughs> needed a trigger or Roy Walker, wow. you know, Rogers cutouts. Yeah. And the reason why it was on the outskirts of town was that old film was flammable and yeah. could explode. Right. So they would put it on the outskirts of the downtown area so that if something happened, you know, the town wouldn't go up in, in flames and smoke. Yeah. So yeah. it was kind of that area. And it's actually, I, from 
what I've understood is that it's the last remaining film district or film exchange district in the United States with the majority of its buildings still intact. So wow. We really lucked out that the uh, yeah. wrecking ball of uh, right. urban uh, urban planning uh, back in the 70s kind of stopped across the street. So. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, literally it stopped across the street. Literally across the yeah, street. Yeah. They ran out of money. That's where they ran out of money. Really? Yep. That's that's the story on that then. Yes. Yeah, Why so they didn't keep just keep going. They intended to. If you look at the IMP plan, this this whole area was supposed to be bulldozed and, wow. and turned into something else. Mm, so. Okay. Well, that's, yeah, that's that's quite a story there in and of itself. Now, uh, Doug, uh, so, so all different kinds of people come here and use this space now, don't they? We've got, you know, we kind of were looking at it the other day, and, and if we look back now, we've got about three and a half years of experience. Mm-hmm. And the first people that use the space, as you might not be surprised, were nonprofit. You mm-hmm. know? Right. Here's a free place to throw on a fundraiser or to do an organizational <laughs> meeting. Right. You know, they kind of swarmed us. And I think we've we calculated the other day we've done, oh, my gosh, a couple hundred different events right. uh, for people. And, and hopefully they've raised a lot of money and done a lot of good. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you kind of the offshoots of that were the musicians and then the artists. Mm-hmm. And um, we got some, you know, businesses that were using it. We have startup companies that have had their right. planning meetings and launching mm-hmm. companies here. Wedding receptions. What, and that's, you know, that's the question I get the most is that people know it as a community space. Right. You know, and they think nonprofit. They think, you mm-hmm. know, organizations. Right. And they, people always ask me, well, why do you let people use it for private events like wedding receptions? Right. You know, aren't you, I almost sometimes think that, you know, aren't you becoming, you know, tainted? You know, <laughs> you're not pure nonprofit. Mm-hmm. And it really comes down to is those private events are just their community, but they may be in a smaller definition of community. Right. You know, it may be a family. It may be a little bit of a larger family. It may be mm-hmm. a group of people that have come together to celebrate a birth or that, you know, or something like that. Mm-hmm. And it really isn't any different outside our mission. And the people, I like to work up here on Saturdays because it's quiet. Mm-hmm. And so I see lots of, you know, Saturday afternoon kind of events. And, you know, there's lots of baby showers, wedding showers and everything. But the people that I meet, and the one that really stands in my mind, was a family reunion that were obviously of a socioeconomic kind of background that couldn't couldn't afford you know a, a fancier place right. mm-hmm. but it was the first time that they had been able to get their family together in 10 years you know that they no one had a big enough house or they didn't have the money to rent a mm-hmm. hall or right. they didn't feel safe in their neighborhood of doing it outside right and you know like the matriarch of the family kind of came up to me and kind of had tears in her eyes and she just said you know i i haven't seen all my great-grandchildren or grandchildren in one space together mm-hmm. And in a way, that's, I mean, that's community. That's the purest, most basic form of community is that, that family that we have. And so, you know, those kind of people that kind of are giving me a little bit of flack, you know, I say, you know, really serving those people and meeting those people's needs are, is the most important thing that we do. Yeah. Doug, uh, let's, let's go to the other end of the timeline now. We started out right now. Just zooming back and forth. Let's go back to the other end of the timeline. Um, how did, how did this firm begin? So the, the firm actually began in the, probably we say 1957, but someplace in their, Mm -hmm. you know, middle 1950s. Now you aren't that old. No, I'm not that old. To have been a lawyer in 1957. No, I'm much younger than that. Uh, (laughs) fortunately, 
unfortunately, uh, I was not around there. Uh, I don't even think I was thought of it at that point in time. But my um, the named partner, Mr. Dunlap, was the first private practicing attorney, patent attorney, in the state of Oklahoma. Wow. He had worked for Phillips and you know some okay. of these other big companies, right. and he decided he wanted to go out on his own. Mm-hmm. And so he had started a firm, and this has been this was his firm that people came into and out of you know for the last sixty years. Mm-hmm. And about ten years ago, myself and the other. Uh, my two other partners at the time who owned the majority of the firm decided just to kind of institutionalize the name around the two senior people, Mr. Okay. Dunlap and then Mr. Cotting, who came in in the 1970s. Right. And we just figured, why don't we take our ego out of it and just mm-hmm. let it be them and, and go forward? Yeah. Well, so you kind of simplified the brand instead of, you know, having 15 names right. on your front wall when you walk in and things like that. That's, That's correct. That, um, yeah, that, that makes sense from a branding standpoint. Yeah. That, it does. It's much simpler to It's simpler. Talk it kind of respects them and honors them. Right. And, right. you know, we can get away from arguing whose name goes on the door, too. But you'd be <laughs> surprised at how many lawyers argue about that. Well, that's your job. It? It's <laughs> like to argue about stuff. That's correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's no off switch, is there? There is not. For... As my, my wife, who's a psychologist, you know, she <laughs> she asks, we, do, we argue in circles because she asks how I feel or how that makes me feel. Yeah. And I'll say why. And then we get back to how does that make you feel? And I'll say why. We just go in circles. (laughs) No one can ever shut it off. Um, so when did when did you become a partner then in this firm? So I moved to Oklahoma in 1996 and joined the firm from Chicago. Mm-hmm. And then in 2000, uh, Mr. Cotting was looking at a group of uh, young uh, young attorneys uh, and asked us if we'd be interested in, in buying into the firm yeah. and making a long-term commitment. Um, and, you know, we kind of jumped at the chance. You know, it was a little bit of a risk, and but we thought we'd see what happened. So. Mm-hmm. So you and who else bought into the firm? Myself, uh, Nick Rouse, who's our managing partner right now, okay. and Mark Brockhouse, who's okay. one of the other. And then since that time, there was a few other partners at that time. We kind of consolidated ownership between the three of us, and mm-hmm. then we've added in uh, a, a partner in Chicago uh, oh, wow. when we opened up a Chicago office two years ago, and then uh, Emily Campbell here in uh, in Oklahoma City. Yeah, okay. So Yeah, so you you have another office in, in Chicago. In Chicago, yeah, and Jordan Saigon up in Chicago, and we kind of lead our litigation efforts out of Chicago. Oh. And then we have uh, a little office down in Austin and, and as well on, on the East Coast. So we're kind of spread out. Wow. So, yeah, you are branching out then. Yeah, we you? are. Why is it, why is it, I'm I'm assuming it's it's beneficial somehow to, to use Chicago, the Chicago office for your litigation efforts. Why is that? It's, it's, the, it's, it's more around the, the people. You okay. know, when we were looking at expanding and the Jordan up in Chicago was a good friend of mine from when I worked up there. Right. He's a litigator, okay. uh, a senior litigator. And it just worked out so ha- that having him be the leader up there, but yet, you know, he comes down once a month for a week or two yeah. and, you know, do those things like that. It just kind of worked out. And most most of the time, that's that's on the federal level anyway, isn't it? Everything we do, for the most part, is on the federal level, right. which yeah. means that we can practice throughout the United States. Right. So, you know, we could be doing work in the court, you know, up in Minneapolis, New York. Mm-hmm. And the majority of our clients or the majority of our revenue comes out of probably outside of uh, an area of 500 miles outside Oklahoma. So it's more mm-hmm. on the coasts and international anyway. So. Yeah. Yeah. So why Oklahoma City? 
I think I think I know your answer here, but I want the listeners to hear you talk about that. For me, why Oklahoma City, or well, why are we the firm? For you, and then why is the firm in Oklahoma City, the headquarters? Of the why firm? the the headquarters? That's the easiest way. The headquarters is because it was started here, and okay. I think. Really, it goes back to, and I'll give the credit to Mr. Cotting, who had the philosophy that I think undergirds the firm. Yeah. You know, that kind of that, you know, as, you know, however you put it, do unto others as you want to you, okay. or, mm-hmm. you know, you treat everybody fairly and equitably, or, you know, the, the openness. You know, that's kind of, that was Skip Cotting's kind of, you know, uh, philosophy in life up here. Wow. So the firm, so that that kind of community orientation, fairness, things like that, that goes all the way back to the beginning, to the first two partners of the firm. Yeah, I think so. It, you know, it really, when I look at it, and I look at a young lawyer who really mentored me and kind of mm-hmm. made the most impact on me, it was Skip. And it was just that concept that as an owner... You know, you're paid last and you're blamed first. (laughs) And, you know, you don't really know what that means as a young lawyer Mm -hmm. until you get in the position of either having to go without a paycheck or taking blame for somebody else. Just because, the, you know, the, it has to stop with you. You know, you, you can't you can't point your finger at somebody else. Right. And so you kind of start at those principles, and then you go down to how you treat people. And that was really a skip thing, that there really wasn't divisions between high-level staff. And, you know, we don't have – we have a very flat management style and open-door policy. That's pretty unusual for an old law firm, isn't it? it a law firm as old as this firm would have a, a highly stratified kind of – Oh, hierarchy. Kind of eco, of, right. Yeah, hierarchy and all that, wouldn't it? Without a doubt. And yeah. I think some of that probably comes by, again, that most of the people that come in have engineering and science degrees. Yeah. And so they're not only are they type A personalities, but they're kind of very linear thinking. And, and, and they're also collaborative. Process. All of those disciplines are highly collaborative. Beyond belief. Yeah. I mean, that's when even when we were looking at this space, it became how do we push things to work together? Right. You know, whether it was, you know, office space that could you know people could do the lunch rooms the right. um, and we kind of all of our philosophy or all of our policies and procedures around the firm are all about how do you push things into that one for all all for one kind of category is that is that where you're where the firm bringing in lunch every day is that is that an aspect of that of that particular ethos of the firm that that everybody eats at the same table yeah literally everybody eats at the same table I mean you know there are there are just so many firms uh uh, right here in this city, just right over here in downtown, uh, where the partners go to lunch at you know some place, you know some or, yeah. some club or something, and the and the associates you know kind of team up and go to lunch at you know some sandwich place, and the secretaries typically just eat lunch at their desk or right. whatever, and and that that's kind of the typical stratification um, of a, of a big law firm. Right. You know, I've I've known quite a few people over my life who, and that's those aren't bad firms and they're not bad places to work but that's just kind of the way they they go to lunch but you guys go to lunch in a different way well and i'm not saying you know i wouldn't say that people don't take lunch to their desk or you know go i mean it it, what we kind of do is just provide the choices right you know those kinds of firms it's just expected that that's the way you're going to do it (laughs) right here it's you know we kind of lay out a lunch on the on the buffet in there right 
and it's literally a gigantic table. Right. And people eat in there. They come and go. You may stop in with a Coke just to sit and talk to somebody. Right, right. And it's kind of interesting because we're seeing now with uh, the Wednesday, Food Truck Wednesday, when we bring in a truck and open up everything. Yeah. We're getting our neighbors coming in and sitting down and talking to us. So it was, <laughs> you know, when, when the folks were building and rehabbing the Main Street Arcade or the police yeah. headquarters, you know, we were having the builders come in and, <laughs> you know, eating with us. We get a lot of governmental employees that come over and eat with us. <laughs> and it's kind of fun, you know. You so just they know, know the food trucks are going to be here right. every Wednesday. So you They'll just kind of ended up collecting this menagerie of different people. Of people, yeah. We've made a lot of <laughs> lot of friends, you know, of of people that wouldn't necessarily you would right. meet. You know, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of fun and kind of cool. So what's what's the best thing about being in this law firm? The best thing about being in this law firm uh, for you for me. Kind of two things. One, I have the ability to chart my own path. I always have, which has been very important to me. Yeah. And two is the ability to laugh. You know, you go to a lot of law firms and there's not a lot of laughter. There's yeah. not a lot of fun. You know, right. I can say that I literally enjoy getting up every morning with the idea of coming off. Um, the people I work to with, you know, I enjoy them. I love them. You know, it's, you know, maybe that's an odd thing to say, but it's, you know, it's people that I enjoy being here with Yeah. and would, uh, you know, it's like a family. It's somebody, you know, it's a group of people that you, I would do anything for. Um, so, wow. you know, I'm lucky that way. I talked to a lot of people that hate going into work and I yeah. can't, I can't imagine the uh, life that way. Sometimes it's kind of a temporary time in, in that organization's life where things are, you know, kind of like families, oh, sure. you know, families have bad years, oh, you yeah. know, where, Things just can't go right. Or you want to kill Aunt Millie yeah. or, you know, or something like <laughs> but, that. But, and so and so some some workplaces are that way. They they like families, they right. have bad years. Uh but but then other places are just chronically that way because the people at the top want it to be that way. They have chronic problems and they spread those throughout oh, without you know, throughout the workplace. And so that that's what you're talking about about yeah. people who hate going to work. Oh, the hate yeah, it's yeah. that it's that uh, yeah, not the problems. I mean we all have problems from right. time to time or stresses it's those places where you know it's set up you know right. almost as a competition a cutthroat competition yeah. between everybody because the people at the top like it that way yeah they do there's yeah. a i mean there's an actual management philosophy or philosophies of you know setting people at one another and you'll yeah. get the you know supposedly the best output so yeah certainly you'll stay in charge that's that's the real agenda of, right. that, of that thing in it yeah um well all right um Doug, thank you very much for this conversation about a very unique law firm and, and about your leadership in that. And uh, good luck with your what you contribute to Film Row here, what you contribute. Thank you for what you contribute to the city. And uh, good luck with uh, all things moving forward in the, in the future with your work and your firm here. Well, great. Thank you very much. That concludes our interview. There are several ways for you to catch this weekly podcast. Go to our website at intersectionsok.com where you can subscribe, listen to episodes, read the backstory, and see photos of our guest. On iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and our Facebook page, we are Intersections Oklahoma. On Twitter and Instagram, we are Intersections OK. I always want to hear about the cool people in your life, so write to me. My email address is ideas at intersectionsok.com Stephen Tyler is our awesome production advisor and I am your host Brett Dickerson <laughs>